Yes. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Ken Pogash, considered the master of versatility by my teammates with the Porto Protocol. And I want to thank you and welcome you to this discussion that is extremely important for all of us, and that is water and the challenges facing winemakers and vineyard managers, be it its use in cultivation of grapes, winemaking, and overall vineyard management. And I do need to say that our participation in New York City Climate Week is in partnership with Boldly New York, the New York Grape and Wine Foundation. And I wanna thank our three guests, our three panelists for taking time away from their busy and complex schedules to share their knowledge and expertise. So in alphabetical order, Carol Feely from Chateau Feely, Sosniak, France, I hope I pronounced that correctly, Robin Ross from Arrowhead Spring Vineyards in Niagara, New York, and Sebastian Tremont from Emiliana Organic Vineyards that is located in multiple locations in Chile. Before we start, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Porto Protocol, but we are a global network of more than 250 members across five continents and 20 countries. And we offer the entire wine value chain the opportunity to share practical knowledge, solutions, innovative ideas, and resources to take the actions necessary to adapt to and also mitigate climate change and promote sustainable practices. And one focus of the Porto Protocol is water, saving every drop. And it is this reason that we are here today because we at the Porto Protocol believe that water is a critical resource and plays a vital role for all living beings on our planet and the entire wine industry. Now, let me set the stage for today. Let's pretend we are in a small cafe rather than a Zoom call. We overhear three people discussing the challenges they face every day regarding water in their vineyards and wineries, be it scarcity or grappling with overabundance. They ask us to join them. And now you are part of the conversation by posting questions and comments in the chat box. And me, being the master of versatility, can present your questions and comments so we sit down, we order coffee, and I humbly speak up for the all of us, for all of us. And I wish to thank the three of you 
for including us, but I think we're a little curious as to who you are, where your winery and vineyards are, and what are your responsibilities? So I don't know, do, do one of you wanna start just giving a little background? Do I go first? Yes, sure. Great. Listen, given that we're sitting in a Paris cafe, I feel a little like I'm Emily in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> so being the French participant and the smallest, I think, vineyard, I'll do a, a brief introduction. Introduction. So Carofili, Chateau Fili, this is a small vineyard in southwest France. We're about an hour east of Bordeaux. It is 14 hectares in total with seven hectares of vines and the rest of, so the other seven hectares is forests, wild areas, biodiversity. So we do a lot. We've been certified organic pretty much since we bought the farm in 2005. We're, we also follow biodynamic practices and, and we dry farm. So of course we'll be getting into all of that detail just one of the other things that we we do um, is quite a bit of tourism so we get a chance to share a lot of information about about what we do so I think that's another aspect that's that's really useful when we think about climate change and also about water conservation so being able to share that information with people that visit and people that stay in our accommodation and so on so and of course conservation accommodation is important too so yes, that is a very, very brief introduction. So I run the business with my husband, Sean. And in terms of responsibilities, I do everything from, yeah, making the wine, growing the vines, picking the wine. I mean, yeah. So uh, pretty much a hand in every part of the process. So there you go. That's just a, a brief intro to Chateau Feely. Looking forward to diving into the subject. And next, who, who wants to go next? Robin, Sebastian? Sure, I, I can do that. So I'm Robin Ross from Arrowhead Spring Vineyards in the Niagara Scarpman AVA of New York. So we're the, the United States AVA, that is. Um, there is a region right across the river, actually, as grape regions don't really know political boundaries on the Canadian side of the border. We are at about 43 degrees north of latitude. We have 220 plus frost-free day growing season. And with less than perhaps less than 2% of our winters reaching temperatures below minus 10 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, we're 10 miles south of Lake Ontario and 20 miles east, uh, northeast that is of Lake Erie with Lake Ontario having 1,631 cubic kilometers of water that it contains fresh water and Lake Erie containing 488 cubic kilometers of water. So lack of water really isn't one of our issues, but perhaps sometimes an overabundance can be. Uh, my responsibilities at the winery, I'm actually the vineyard manager and then also probably the general manager. We have about 38 acres of grapes and we're also in a tourism region being in close proximity to Niagara Falls, New York. So we have a large tasting room that's open daily. We serve food and to be honest, as a person who owns a business, I'm sometimes cooking in the kitchen, sometimes out on a tractor in the vineyard, um, often doing accounting and bookkeeping type works and 
and really just about everything. My husband and I started this together back in, uh, well, really 2005. So it's been a long process and he oversees the winemaking aspects of the um, business as well as the general long-term planning. So over to you, Sebastian. Great, thank you very much, Rowan. Well, I'm Sebastian. I'm uh, the sustainability officer or head uh, of sustainability at uh, Emiliano Organic Vineyards. Uh, Emiliano is a company, uh, a Chilean company that is mainly devoted to uh, organic wines. So we are certified organic, biodynamic, and recently we got the regenerative organic certification. Uh, so that's the, the, the focus were 100% uh, into, into that. And we manage uh, about 1,000 hectares in the main valleys in, in Chile from the north, a very uh, arid uh, zone, uh, zone uh, to the south that is more uh, maybe like uh, what Rowan was just uh, describing. Um, and my responsibility here is mainly related to uh, the certifications part, research and development initiatives with the different areas, uh, environmental compliance, and always trying to push the, the team here at Emiliana to go beyond the boundaries of what is sustainability. So it's, uh, it's, it's uh, a pleasure to be here with you, Carol and, and Robin, and to share experience from our projects. Okay, now, the three of you know that we are in the middle of New York City Climate Week. And I'm wondering how do changing weather patterns, extreme weather events, and climate conditions impact on your water management strategies? That's the first part. The second, what adjustments have you had to make to your infrastructure, technology, and practices in response to these changes, whether it be disease management, the effect on the fruit, your soil, or your wine making? So again, we're in a cafe, so whoever wants to be first, well, maybe I'll go first, uh, since I'm probably the lowest tech, maybe, of, of all of us. We, um, since we dry farm, um, so no irrigation systems or anything like that. So, but um, maybe just to say first, like climate change, I think is, is just such an important subject. And it's something someone was asking me a few days ago, if it's something that I talk about on all of our visits, and it's kind of hard to, you know, when tourists are there, you don't want to down them with something as, as scary as climate change. But we know that it is extremely scary. It really is. For, for those of us um, in, in viticulture, of course, we, we see the impact on our vineyards with, um, with floods and droughts and mildew attacks because we've had more water in the spring and terribly humid conditions. So absolutely, these water extremes are affecting us very dramatically as they are, you know, affecting all the, the people devastated by floods and some sometimes people lose their lives. So, of course, it is absolutely a subject we have to we have to talk about. And it's interesting that um, when we started out back in 2005, um, I'd go to farmers meetings 
And, you know, some of the people would still say, oh, climate change, BS, you know, this isn't, this isn't for real. Of course, today, every single farmer's meeting, I think anywhere in the world, it's going to be right up there on the agenda and absolutely fundamental first, first issue for all of us. So talking about it is easy, actually, because um, we've had so many direct impacts. So when we think about um, like drought, drought is obviously going to affect our yields, um, managing drought, and hence for us, what we do to, um, to help our vines manage drought is, is dry farm them so we force them to go deep. So the deeper they go, the more they can cope with out water. So it's actually incredible. Last year, um, the, uh, the oak trees were even starting to go brown on the edges and our vines were still green because their roots are so deep. So actually having older vines is important too, because when they're young, obviously their roots aren't so deep. You've got to really help them get them deep. So that's, um, that's one of the aspects on the, 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 the flooding um, is, a, is another one. So of course, we can all talk about that as well. Um, if you ha had extreme flooding, and that's, we talked about this the other day on the, on the, on the chat, is that um, we've started to completely grass everything, keep cover on the vineyard for many reasons. Biodiversity is another reason. But one of the key things is erosion. When you get these massive downpours, which of course we're all getting more and more, managing that excess water then becomes a big, a big issue. So what do we do? Well, it's having things like hedgerows, having the, the coverage in the vineyard, um, we've also started to have actually more trees in the vineyard. Trees also help to give stability to the ground. So um, there are many, many ways that we can deal with, um, with I guess, those, those extremes. And it just comes so easily to talk about it because it's such a direct impact. And of course, you know, hail is another thing, which is not directly water, but it's to do with precipitation. And it's certainly something that's more and more of an issue for us too. So also about climate change. So it's very, very much top of the agenda um, for us. And just to, um, book, I don't want to talk too much because I'm sure we'll come around and get a chance to talk about this a lot more, but disease is another thing. Obviously you've got the more humid conditions. So I mentioned just the, the mildew is something that, that all of us are, are dealing with in this particular area, Bordeaux and Bergerac, there's been massive, massive loss, especially on the Merlot this year. So that's, a, that's another aspect. And we don't really know exactly how to deal with that because mildew is a tough one to deal with under organic. Um, but it is, uh, it's, it's certainly one of the challenges that we have. We have a lot of mildew here as well in our region to deal with. And um, I, I'm kind of curious, I mean, we deal with the water um, and humidity here probably since the time I've started farming. I will say that in the U.S. we use grafted plants as far as getting the roots into depth. So you can, in fact, all of our plants for the most part, have to be grafted because of phloxera. So we generally select the rootstock so that we can get something that will be suitable for our soils. In our area, for example, we are dolomitic limestone um, base, but really quite a bit of a clay formation underneath the topsoils that we have. So, and the topsoils may not have a huge depth, so it's very important to keep them in place. 
um, under the vines themselves and under the actual acreage that we farm, we have drain tile in to help mitigate the amount of water that can stay in, especially when we have uh, spring thaws, because for us, because of our, our cold climate in the winter, of course, our grounds are frozen to a depth of three to four feet sometimes, which means that all the snow that we get in our region sits up on top. And then when things fall um, thaw in the springtime, we get a quite a bit of water passing through. And in our case, it's always heading north to Lake Ontario, and we just want to speed it along the way. Um, this is not, however, new technology for our area, even as we were putting in drain tile into our vineyards, uh, which is now like a, um, a roll of a plastic type of pipe that's perforated, we uh, were pulling up old pieces of clay drain tile that were probably put in, I don't know, closely, maybe 80 years ago when this used to be a fruit farm for apples or trees. And I'm kind of curious, Sebastian, do you have, do you guys use drain tile in your neck of the woods or is this completely unnecessary? Um, do you mean rooks, uh, rootstock? Well, under, yeah, well, that too, actually, um, starting with that, are your vines, are they grafted to particular rootstocks? Yes. Yeah, yeah, where, where we, we try the new plantations that we're doing, we're looking at the more resistant uh, root stocks. So for example, the 1103 Paulson or 110 mm -hmm. Richter. Are, are the ones that we, the, the, the viticultural team are, is trying to use. Um, because here in Chile, we are having, we, we, we have the Andes mountains. Uh, so the pattern, the weather pattern is that during winter, we accumulate uh, snow or the mountain accumulate mm -hmm. snow uh, there. And during the summer, we start to melt. So we use that mainly, mainly uh, by the rivers and channels, uh, but because uh, everything is changing. We are uh, not having that same pattern that like uh, previous years. So it's changing and we're having really like strong storms uh, and then uh, uh, hot days during the winter. So the, there is not so much accumulation of snow. So in our case, we have to start looking at uh, ways to uh, build reservoirs uh, for water, and how we, we manage the water during the, the summer because it's, it's becoming really scarce. So that's that's the main change. And also we are facing like uh, rains during the summer that is not uh, very typical here where we are in, the, in a Mediterranean uh, weather. So it's not uh, very typical here. So we're facing frost, uh, we're facing drought uh, also. So the, change, the, the weather is changing and that's for sure is affecting our grapes or, or, or the wines. And also, um, and, and touching a little bit on what Caro just was talking in, in regards to the, the management of the soil and how relevant it is for water management, that sometimes is like different uh, point of view, but you have to look at the, at the vineyards as an ecosystem, like a living, ecosystem, uh, the management of the, the, the organic content or organic matter in the soil and also the, the use of cover crops as a tool to increase the water retention capacity of the soil and, uh, and to reduce the, the temperature, for example, during, during summer so we can avoid uh, evapotranspirations. It's it's something that uh, that we are we have been managing, and it's something that in order to save uh, water to uh, help the plants to be more re resilient, 
Uh, and in order also to avoid erosion, I think that are, are critical elements. If you go to the, the, the more technical, you have a lot of technology uh, and proofs and sensors that you can use. But for us, that's the key part. Then we we jump into that into the other part. Uh, but it's something that is that's critical for us. And, and and I think, as Carol was saying at the beginning too, climate is something that is really critical for us. And we have a responsibility in terms of mitigation. And also, uh, we have to adapt because otherwise, uh, this is not going to be in the long term uh, uh, a business uh, profitable and yeah and, and it's something that we will get into troubles and it's not going to be viable in the long term mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely you know so, I, go ahead go well no 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 I, I was wondering because carol said that she she she's dry farming we are 100 percent a irrigation, uh, drip irrigation. And Rowan, I don't know, maybe if you can explain yeah. a, a little bit. And if you use any tools to, to manage the, uh, the, 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 the irrigation process, uh, how do you monitor the plants or, or the water? So we don't, we don't use irrigation. Okay. It's really never, I know that there are some people starting to think about it because our um, with climate change, the weather patterns have changed a bit. So for example, we used to pretty much rely that um, April, we would have rain coming into the spring, and then maybe into the beginning of May, which is typically when vineyards are planted in our region, and um, June, and maybe a little bit of rain, and then July and August would be dry. But now it's changed a little bit. We put vineyards in in early May, and it seems to be for the last few years, then right after we plant them, we're getting no water. So in our case, because we don't use irrigation, we had to figure out how to get water out into the vineyard to take care of the small plants. And this isn't really an easy thing to do if, you've, if you're looking at watering 10,000 plants, it's rather impractical to walk up and down the rows with a five gallon bucket of water. So <laughs> we've been borrowing from the winemaking area. They have you know, uh, transport cubes that can be used, those plastic cubes in a metal cage that can be used for transporting wine. And we've rigged them up with water in the back um, and done things like running hoses off the back just to be able to, but it, it's not an efficient way, but it's better than losing a newly planted vineyard. Um, but again, once the vineyards are established, this isn't so much of a problem because with the deep trapping root structure, once the vines are, um, usually by three or four years of age, we don't have any worries at all. Uh, I did notice that the last couple of times that we've done a big planting of vines, we happened to just stumble right into a drought type of summer. And I want to stress that a drought for us is probably not what it is for you. I imagine we still get much more rain. Um, but for us, it means we're going maybe three weeks without a raindrop. And that's an odd situation where I live. Um, mm. And it has made a difference and had quite an impact on the growth of the vines. It used to be that if we put a vineyard in, we'd know by year three, we could we could depend on being able to take at least, I would call it an immature crop. It's not quite as many grapes as they would produce, say, five years of age. But now it seems to be that it takes maybe four years. Um, at least it's been my luck on a couple of the plantings that we've done before I can say that they look like it's worth the trouble of um going and letting them hold fruit and going all the way to harvest so there is an economic impact with that are you seeing yeah. the same thing yeah so we um we uh, also can water in the first three years so the the no irrigation actually is something that was 
a legislated thing across all of French appellation origin contrôle, so protected designation of origin. So all the names you recognize, Bordeaux, Burgundy, Rhone, all those would have been under this no irrigation kind of part of the rule book. But in recent times, that's actually changed in the south of France by derogation. They've now up to a third, I, I, I read, of the appellations in France now actually allow irrigation by derogation. But here in our parts so of Bordeaux and Bergerac, that hasn't happened yet. Um, I was chatting to someone just to get an update on where that conversation was before I, uh, I joined you guys. And yeah, it's still kind of an idea that's been batted around, but it hasn't, It like, you know, no one really knows what to do with it because it's like, well, if we did say we could irrigate, where would people get the water? And then that's going to be a problem. And, you know, so um, for now, anyway, you're allowed to water so long as they're not in production. So the, the baby vines, one to three years old. And then from there, yeah, um, you're not allowed. So we do exactly what you were describing, rigging up, you know, the cube on the back of, you know, a quad or a tractor and, and, and pipes. And yeah, because you're, you're not going to install irrigation just for right. you know, two seasons of watering. Yeah. Well, in, in, in our case in Chile, uh, we don't have that uh, regulation regarding the, the vineyards and the water use. And uh, there are some parts where, where there is dry farming in, in really dry areas or in really in the southern part of the country where we have a lot of rain. But mostly where the, the vineyards or the, the wineries are located, we pretty much all use uh, water and irrigation. And there is a lot of... Uh, technology that is has been starting to or is starting to be used. So for example, in our case, we are using uh, soil proofs in order to understand the, the, the movement of the water into the soil. And the idea with that is to try to create the, 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 the curves for the irrigation with a with specific uh, requirements for the plant and also use the cholander pump or uh, uh, to monitor the, 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 the plant in order to understand what is the real requirement of water that we that we have. Uh, and we are doing that for every specific location because every vineyard and the requirements in terms of the soil and the weather are different. So it's something that you have to look in very, very uh, specific terms how to, to understand that and to uh, really know how the, the water is uh, is behaving into the into the soil, so that's that's uh, what we are using. We are also in sometimes looking at some uh, like satellital images, but that is mostly for to understand the, the management of the of the vineyard in terms of uh, of the viber. Uh, but it's but it's a tool that is becoming very popular here and also use more sensors and and all kind of things. Uh, but the most the most relevant part for us is to know how the, the the water is behaving into the into the soil, and also of course to manage the the pumps to in, in order to understand how much water is is going into the vineyard and and to if if there is a like a leakage or something like that to be able to detect that because at least in our case, uh, ninety nine percent of the water that we use is in the vineyard and only one percent 
is on the uh, on the seller. Uh, so this is the most critical part for us. And if we don't do it right there, it's we're wasting a lot of uh, a lot of water. Hmm. Interesting. I think a lot of the things that we try to do too are to um, maybe with the concern of keeping because we're around so much fresh water and we have a responsibility to make sure that you know the largest bodies of fresh water in the world really are kept as clean as possible at least um, from our point of view that we can keep our portion of what's going into it as clean as possible. Um, I think it's important we do things like having uh, headlands that are pretty wide of grassy areas and with vegetative growth so that when we're using um, sprays in the vineyard because we do have to spray for mildews and things uh, to just to ensure that things are not getting into the waterway that may cause damage in the water systems around us. Um, and also we do heavy cover cropping um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is because if we didn't, you know, now with climate change, when a, we've always had rain coming, but we haven't necessarily had had the violence of the storms where the rain, raindrops are coming so quickly that we're perhaps getting inches per hour, in which case you really worry about soil erosion on a hillside. So um, cover cropping, when I was a child in our area, many of the vineyards had worked up the rows in between. So it was just bare dirt. Um, the philosophy being that then the plants wouldn't compete so much with other plants for micronutrients in the soil. I think we now though, um, understand better that that doesn't really help the soil. It's in fact that it can turn soil into dirt. So we do keep cover crop on there. Um, and we like to keep a clover in our mix to keep the nitrogen content pretty high. So it also helps us. We, we don't have to worry so much about erosion. Um, but then again, when it rains a lot, we have to mow a lot. So it seems like an, there's always some sort of balance going on, trying to make sure that we choose cover crops that maybe grow a little bit slower. I know I've made mistakes in the past with having things that grew too quickly. So we have to do more mowing and, you know, then you're doing fuel expenditures, et cetera. Not a great thing. Uh, so it's just very complicated. I don't think I'll live long enough and have a long enough life in viticulture to ever get it right. <laughs> so, so true, Robin. It's just, you're totally right. And, and, you know, what you say is, is, so valid that every place is so different like you're learning all the time about and and the you know of course climate change is with us so it's changing constantly under our feet as well so you're having to really read your your environment constantly and adapt um, and I think you raise a very very important point about cover crops keeping the keeping the cover on and having like buffer zones having hedgerows and things like that to help manage these um, excess water um, and, and and you raised the point of quality and I was just brainstorming a little bit you know what 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 can we think about water when we just when we think about it what what are the the ideas well you can have too little you know drought you can have too much and then there's the whole idea of how do we conserve it and how do we you know make sure that we don't waste it which Sebastian was talking about with their irrigation and making sure they're not kind of using too much that it's really monitored well and and so on and then the quality aspect like how do we make sure that we're actually you know protecting bodies of water near us and I think that's an important aspect we didn't we didn't touch on in our kind of prep discussion much but this idea that uh, we have big responsibility as farmers to water quality in our jurisdiction to to our to our neighbors and neighboring people kind of drinking water and 
um, the, to give you an example around here, there was um, the village down below us had their only water source was uh, so polluted by what the farmers were using down in the valley that uh, it became like a special project. And there was um, analysis of all the water and all the little streams and so on to, to, to find out where all this terrible pollution was coming from. Um, and it was so bad that like the mayor sent a, a letter saying children mustn't drink the water. And um, he, uh, anyway, the end, the end of the, the process, um, and it's still obviously a, a, a project, they haven't completely solved it, but they did find that the worst offender was, was actually a grain farmer that had rotation crops down in the valley. And I think important takeaway for me anyway, was that he was an absentee farmer who just paid a service provider to do his, um, like the provision of the service. And he didn't even know they were using these toxic products that were then poisoning the well for the local citizens. So I think that's, um, that's uh, and you raised a really important point about water quality. And I think uh, as, uh, as uh, farmers, we have that as a, as a very, very big responsibility. Um, and, and of course, the, the water that comes from the winery that I'm sure we're going to talk about in, in a little bit as well. Right. Do you yeah. want me to interject? I have a question. Um, Great. I'm just curious. Um, I understand, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand that in grape processing, there is a lot of wastewater that is generated that contains certain um, residues, be it cleaning agents, the grape skins themselves, the stems, organic materials. Um, how do you deal with the water management when it comes to, and I think you were touching on this a little bit, Caro, as far as environmental sustainability, public health, and resource conservation. I heard a little bit from Carol. I was just curious what's going on in New York and Chile regarding those issues. So for us in the winery, um, some of the things that we do during, during the processing of the grapes during harvest time, of course, um, all the stems, all the skins that are left over from processing, everything like that, we gather up and we compost it. And those big compost piles are then, once they're broken down over a couple of years, reapplied as fertilizer um, to the grapes. So we're trying to take, because when you think about it, we're taking material out of, the, out of its environment. So we're removing nutrients from the ecosystem and we really kind of have to put them back in. So by taking those leftover stems and seeds and skins, et cetera, that are left over from the winemaking process and composting them, we end up with a material that we can put back in. Um, and, and we're also taking care of waste that we would have to deal with at the same time. As far as the uh, water itself, um, for the most part, in our case anyway, when we're cleaning, uh, especially during the harvest production, it's mostly just the use of hot water uh, for power usage here, we generate all of our own electricity with solar panels on the winery. So that helps quite a bit um, with uh, power usage. 
Uh, we also have a wind turbine that provides roughly half of what we use. I live on the farm, so with our, for our house and our barns, et cetera, the turbine um, provides practically half of our use. This, um, in fact, the turbine and the solar provide energy for all of our heating. Everything for us is electrical here. We don't use any fossil fuels. Um, we were pretty much using geothermal heating and cooling. And then the winery itself, we have built into the hillside and here our ambient earth temperature is around 55 degrees Fahrenheit. So just having the earthen mass around the winery itself reduces our energy consumption. Uh, and with water then if we're, um, you mentioned cleaning chemicals, but in the wine industry, really, I think in general, um, people use things, or at least we use here, soda ash and then citric acid for neutralization so that any wastewater that goes that's back fine. out has been rendered neutral. And I think that's pretty much, I assume pretty much what everyone's doing. Um, you can't really use things, uh, many of the cleansers that you would think of that people use in other industries because it would, it would be harmful. And, you know, chlorine, for example, is doesn't react well with wooden barrels. And I think everybody says it's completely banned in the winery. You don't want to have any problem with that. So um, I'll hand over to someone else. Sebastian, what do you guys do? Yeah. So uh, we do the same uh, in terms of the, the solid part of the of the production in the of the waste production in the in the cellar. So we compost pretty much uh, everything there and uh, adding to what yes Robin said that it's it's great in terms of you're putting more organic matter into the soil again that also helps to contain to 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 the water retention so that's a, a really circular economy element um, and regarding the, the wastewater well there is I guess like in pretty pretty much everywhere a lot of regulation in that in that sense uh, so we have a wastewater a treatment plant and um, the, the main problem that we have is the acidity uh, but that's pretty much all. And then once we treat the, the water, we reuse that uh, during the during the summer. So uh, it's it's uh, all closed uh, again. And but as I said, it's not a, a large quantity, uh, but it helps uh, a lot to reuse that also in the in the in the vineyard. Sometimes that can create some some. In in our case, we have had in the past some. Uh, others problems with the neighbors what we we, we treated that and we improved the the facility uh, but are part of the of the of the problems that you can have when you have wastewater and you have a uh, communities living living nearby uh, your your installation so that's that's what we 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 are doing yeah um and uh i totally agree that that like capture it obviously kind of Going back to some of the some of the things um, that we talked about before, about um, you have the water. Obviously, where where do we get the water? First of all, so um, we can capture rainwater like here on uh, on all our roofs. We capture all our rainwater. It goes into like concrete tanks um, that are underground or old wine tanks that we've got outside now. Some of the kind of retired wine tanks have gone outside for water, so we can capture water. Obviously, um, we can. Uh, we also have a well that we use, so a very, very clean, very great source of of pure, pure water that we can use for our biodynamic sprays, um, and and definitely that uh, idea of 
um, minimizing and conserving actually in the winery. So like uh, Robin and Sebastian, we compost everything from the winery. Um, we, we make sure that once like we're washing down a tank, like most of the stuff has been removed. We're not like leaving all the muck in there to like wash out in the water that we're going to, we, we kind of take it out and use it on the compost first. And then we power hose. And so, you know, our, our wastewater isn't so jammed up with, with muck that it's, that it's barely possible to move it. It's not sludge, it's just kind of rinsed, rinsed water. And we capture that then um, to reuse on, um, on other fields actually around, like uh, in our gardens, in our uh, other fruit trees and so on. Because like I said, we don't actually water the vineyard. Um, but, uh, so, and, and so this idea of, of reuse, yeah, capturing your gray water, I guess that's what we're saying really here. Yeah, you've both, both kind of said it and I guess in a consumer, consumer words, that's, that's how you talk about it. The capturing of, of the water. So saving everything that you've got, getting the rainwater, saving it, um, capturing your gray water and saving it, reusing it. So really, um, making the most of all the water that we have available because of this, I guess, this this extreme that we're getting with the kind of floods, droughts, and we're going to have to manage that probably even more as we go forward, just as we've said. So, yeah, the balancing act is, is, is getting more and more complicated. Absolutely. Um, can I just interject because one of my friends sitting next to me, um, he just passed along a question. And if you don't mind, I'm just gonna glance over and because he said, um, how often do you test the outputs of the wastewater for acidity? So I, I, in, in, in our case, what we do is that we, uh, it depends on the, of the season during harvesting, that is when we, uh, release the, the, the largest amount of uh, water. We taste for pH and the chemical demand of uh, oxygen like every week. So we're testing that. But then we store the water for like six months. And then once the water uh, with, with some uh, pumps to inject the air, uh, so that system allow us to, we have a, a large uh, like, like lagoon and then we, once before to release the water for the irrigation, we do the all the testing, but we already know that the uh, water is in condition to be used as a, for irrigation. But when we're releasing it from the harvesting, it's like at the at the beginning, the peak in the heaviest moment, it's like every week we're testing to check if uh, if there the conditions for the microorganisms in the water are are okay in order to uh, to to uh, do the, the the work that they have to do in order to treat the the uh, the wastewater if um and i do have to tell you that um i believe Yes. Does anybody have any uh, have the quantity of water that is lost to evaporation and transpiration in the field? Do either of you, any of you, have any quantity that you could talk about? That's going to depend completely on each environment because it's going to depend on 
like how dry your air is it's it's and the temperature it every every everybody's going to be very different i'd say and each year is going to be totally different i don't have any numbers in my head i don't either it's super unique to the place very microclimate specific I'll have to say that for here for the last month, I would say zero. We were so hoping for some evaporation <laughs> during rain. Um, I'd have to agree, though. Even we have leaf wetness sensors and soil moisture sensors, and the the numbers that they're reading vary completely depending on weather conditions. Uh, a lot of it due to relative humidity in the air, how much sunshine we're having, and how much wind and air movement. And we feel very blessed to have to live in a in an area that has pretty good wind, except for a curse on the days that we want to spray because we'd like it to be <laughs> still. <laughs> so, um, but much like everything else in a farm, you're always searching for a balance for what's going to work. Yeah, in some in some way related to that question again, and and I also agree that it's it's really it, it changes a lot according to where where you are and the and the and the management that you have in your vineyard. Uh, one of the management that we are doing in order to reduce the, the, the amounts of uh, evaporation is to manage the canopy uh, to have a shorter canopy. Uh, that's something that we are trying to test because we have to adapt. So in order to, in, in the areas where we have less water, uh, what we are doing is to try to manage the uh, canopy shorter and also with the cover crops and all that, that you reduce uh, the, temp the the micro environment temperature and also you reduce the the, the evaporation. So it's uh, there are different things that I think that uh, different viticultures in the in the world are applying in order to manage and adapt to climate change. Absolutely, yeah. In um in like in South Africa, I've seen um trellising systems where they're kind of making almost a veranda over their over their vines, so they're constantly shaded by the canopy. Here in France, there's also like the bush vines and the basket vines in, in the Mediterranean areas where they, they're almost making their own little kind of microclimate, little shade unit yeah. on the ground. Um, so totally agree. I think it's so, so um, microclimate specific, but, and we're all going, and we're learning already, like we're all taking, you know, lessons from other regions as our climates change. So we're all having to adapt, of course, to um, to this this constantly changing changing picture. Yeah, right. Um, We've had to cut our, you know, to do a little bit more hedging than in past years because we're having so this past summer. I'm speaking about in specific because we had so much water. Uh, we didn't have any incidents where it was a very strong downfall or hail or anything like that. So I was very grateful. But we had so much rainfall this summer that the canopy growth was more than usual. So it was a constant battle of trying to keep the vineyard hedged and um, mowed and have the, we don't use any herbicide here. So then reducing the weeds underneath the vines too, through cultivation um, was very time consuming over this season. And I was interested when Sebastian said that you were making your canopy shorter and growing that it sounded like growing the vines a bit smaller. I noticed even with having an overabundance of water that my vineyard, I have um, everything on vertical shoot positioning, but my older vines are on a taller trellis. So they have more green matter going up. And it, it just um, seemed this year we, we, were, we were having a little bit more disease pressure in that area than in some of the others. So I think we're also going to be looking at reducing the height of that canopy 
in the future? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's something that I also we, we discuss regularly with the viticultural team that there are maybe not new diseases, but the change or the, the, the frequency of the diseases are is, right. it's changing. Uh, so that's something that we also have to start to look at and to monitor how the pests and the diseases are, are, are appearing in the in the vineyards. And uh, also, uh, as probably you, 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 you know better, better than me, the, in, in order, because you manage organic that, vineyard, uh, uh, we want to have more uh, microbiodiversity there that also help us to manage, uh, to control the naturally the, the, the disease and the pest. Uh, so it's something that probably in the future you have to look because if you have a, a, a vineyard that is very intensive in the use of agrochemicals and is only reliant on those treatments, these changes in, in because of the weather patterns that you have uh, will be it's it's going to be harder for the plant. So you have to help them with natural enemies in order to control that. And, and it's something that that we have to look and we are trying to to study uh, as well. Yeah, in, interesting little anecdote just to pick up on that um, for us was that. Um, in this region, and this isn't to do with water, but it is to do with biodiversity and managing pests, and um, is that uh, we used to have a problem with the grape worm, and pretty much everyone around here does have a problem with grape worm, laid by the grape worm moth. And when we started handpicking the whole vineyard in 2014, um, we were able to leave more biodiversity in the vineyard, like trees, ivy, things growing kind of in between vines, so almost like agroforestry. And um, interestingly, like a year or two later, suddenly no more problems with the grape worm. And we were like, wonder why, not sure. And I did a biodiversity course last year, a week on like biodiversity on the farm, how to, how to increase it, what to do. And one of the things I learned there is that the thing that eats the most of these grape worm moth is bats. And bats need different heights in the vineyard to navigate. So having this biodiversity actually even within the vineyard, not just in the hedgerows, because they'll stay kind of in the hedgerow boundary if there's nothing in the vineyard for them to go to. But if there's these navigation points throughout the vineyard, they'll cover your whole vineyard. And that's how we solved the grape worm issue, which is pretty incredible stuff. Yeah. yeah. So the biodiversity, I'm a huge, huge believer. Like that's a big, big kind of move forward for us in the coming years. And, and for sure it will help us manage water extremes as well. I, I do have to just interject for a second because one of my friends sitting across from me just asked me a question and I don't know how to answer it. It wasn't Emily in Paris, was it? No, it wasn't Emily. <laughs> uh, there, is there any specific technology in the winery that has reduced your water usage? High pressure hose <laughs> for us. A high pressure hose was was definitely a, a a good investment. I think most most people have that anyway. I'm sure whoever's asking that question already has that. 
but that definitely makes a difference. Steam cleaner for the barrels, absolutely yeah. invaluable. Um, sprinkles yeah. for the tank, a sprinkle system for the for the tank also, not the hose. And that's also very very safe, uh, saving water. So how does that work? Sebastian, is that like a, you put it inside and you leave it? You to put it inside. Yeah, exactly. And it moves up and down and it releases the water. So it's it's it use uh, uh, just a fraction of the water that we used to use with a hose and with another system that we that we had. So that's uh, that's what we are using in pretty much all the all the facilities. Yeah, we used to have something similar for our, um, we have it for our tanks and we had something like that for the barrels, but for the barrels, we've switched over to steam recently, which um, really does a nice job, but also uses much less water. Um, I do have a question because I think about money. And you know, a lot of people have this romantic and idyllic aspiration to have a winery, have a, have a vineyard, but it is a business. So how does all of the water related challenges impact your operational costs, such as investment in water management infrastructure or energy consumption? And we're kind of getting, you know, close to the end, but could you just talk about the money for a second? Because it's a business. Anybody? Who's gonna go first? Okay, <laughs> well, I, just... I can, I, I, I can, I can yeah, go... quickly, quickly. Uh, Okay, for, for us, uh, it means it's, it is really, really, really critical uh, beyond the investment that you have to do at the beginning of a vineyard that is, uh, in our case, is around the $5,000 per hectare for the irrigation system and all, and all that. Uh, and then the management is, is not that uh, expensive, at least in Chile, because the water, once you get the water, the right to the water is free for the use. You have to pay the energy and the, the people that uh, work on the irrigation system. Uh, it's not that critical, but because we're not uh, used to do dry uh, farming, uh, if we don't have the water and we are in some uh, valleys where the, 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 the groundwater table is going really, really deep and, and the water scarcity is a real problem that a lot of windyards are closing. Uh, it's something that is becoming really critical for us and the board uh, of directors uh, looking with, uh, with a lot of eyes in what are we doing and how are we going to manage that into the, the future and we're doing research. So it's it's critical uh, for us in the long run that it can make a vineyard not being able to maintain the business in the in the in the long term. I've got if if nobody wants to interject, I'm trying to figure out. We've got about five minutes left. I, I'll just add one thing, and that is that. <laughs> You know, a, a little a, a little anecdote is that um, uh, I guess as soon as we have to pay for something, we think about how much we use it. So just Absolutely. what Sebastian's saying 
is that now scarcity means that all oh, this is maybe not going to be a free resource. Um, we suddenly will think more carefully about it. It's a bit like, you know, your kids will use the electricity and forget to turn off the light until they're paying their own electricity. <laughs> um, and it's like transfer the bill over to them and suddenly they'll have a very different, <laughs> very different perspective on, on consumption. And yeah, it's, uh, um, I think we're, we're, we're going to be pushed to, to, to think carefully, just like we are with fossil fuels and so on. And, and we have to. So the, the price going up is, is indirectly a, a kind of good thing because it makes us think harder about how, how we use these things and, and how to decrease them. And if I could um, just uh, add there, like um, Sebastian said earlier about, you know, it's, mitigation and adaptation absolutely and mitigation we have such a responsibility all of us to decrease our carbon dioxide and to make sure that it's a it's a primary thing for us and for how we share information uh, with our tourists and so on that they understand climate change and what we can do and and the point about uh, no you know avoiding pesticides and not um uh, poisoning water sources that are around us so that's another another key part I think of of this and yes in terms of conservation of of the water saving the water minimizing our use of the water and um and kind of managing the the gray water and so on as well is uh, is all part of uh yeah this this big water question yeah all right, I just want to mention something because we had two questions I don't want to feel these my friends being feeling as though we're ignoring them. What I'm going to try to figure out, and I don't know whether or not I can do it. Um, somebody had talked about permeable, breathable ground cover. Uh, and somebody else asked the specific question for Robin about using tiles in Canada. Um, what I hope to be able to, to do is respond to those two people or to the group. Um, what I would like, can you give us one brief takeaway that you'd like the audience to have and walk away from as far as a specific action, what you want them to think or feel? Very brief. Robin, Sebastian. Um, I'm always optimistic. I think climate change is here and we have to address it, but you know, we can we can find solutions together and uh, get through this, or at least if, if we think about it and work together, and I don't mean just as an industry, but I mean as everybody on the planet, we can certainly find a way to mitigate the damage from climate change and to maybe end up with a brighter and cleaner future. Yes. Yeah, for me, for me, it's keep learning and look at the nature. I think that most of the solutions are on, on nature. So for water scarcity as well, for water management, all that we have to look and see how the nature works with that. And then you can add technology, high tech, uh, but that's that's my, my call. Yeah, that's uh, th those are, are beautiful takeaways. Robin and Sebastian, I totally agree. I think the 
the, the nature part, um, that's something that I think makes us all remember how much we've got to, to how much amazing um, life we have on this planet. And when you walk around a vineyard, they're always so beautiful and we're so surrounded by nature and we're producing a product that really brings people to nature and connects them with nature. You know, Galileo, I think, said, wine is sunlight held together by water. So I think that's a that's a really good message for us as uh, as we save our water and kind of transfer it and share it with our clients in this magic bottled form. And I, we're reaching the end. I want to thank Carol, Robin, and Sebastian for sharing your knowledge about the challenges. Uh, facing you regarding water and coming to the Porto Protocol Cafe and allowing us to join you. And I do want to mention, Carol has written an incredible book entitled Cultivating Change. It's available at Amazon and your local bookstore. So please reach out. Uh, there's a picture. Um, and I want to thank everybody who is out there for coming to the cafe this today and joining us i do want to mention the climate talk today is going to be available on youtube and spotify in about 24 to 48 hours so if you missed any part of it or wish to share it with others just shirt search portal protocol climate talks and again thank you we look forward to seeing you all soon for another Porto Protocol Climate Talk. And by the way, the next one is scheduled for the 19th of October, Establishing Vineyard Ecosystems. So as I, Ken Pogesh, the master of versatility, would like to leave you with one thought. Please try to save every drop. Have a good afternoon, everybody. And thank you, everybody, for coming here today. Thank you, Ken. Thank, thank, you, thank you, Robin. Ben. Thank you, Sebastian. Thank you. Thanks, Porter Protocol. Thanks, everyone, to, yeah, that joined us today. Really great. Take care. <laughs>